Masechet Yevamot Kof. We saw the Mishnah yesterday about two kids that get mixed up at birth. One is a Kohen and one is an Ivid. And uh, various consequences, we're going to be um, discussing more of those consequences from the Mishnah in a bit. Uh, one of the consequences was that uh, they can eat teruma while the is a kohen. Uh, once he's freed, then neither of them can uh, receive teruma. Um, and uh, if they go to re- receive from the granary, uh, then uh, we give them only one portion. When he grows up, we don't give any of them. Uh, so we're talking about or more people who can or cannot receive teruma from the granary. So here we go. The following 10 people are not eligible to receive a portion of teruma if they go to the granary where they dispense the teruma. So these people who are mentally not capable and uh, therefore cannot receive Tiruma. The Gemara will discuss each one and explain the reasons for them. So deaf person, uh, incompetent, or a minor. Tumtum vandroginos, people who have uh, two or unclear gender signs. Uh, the slave, a woman, someone who's not circumcised, even if he's a Kohen, or Kohen who's Tamel and cannot eat Tiruma, also cannot receive it. Or a Kohen who marries someone he's not allowed to marry like a divorcee. But uh, even though they cannot go to the granary, to the dispensary to get it, um, it can be sent to their home. They can get it delivered. That's good. Except for the Kohenus and the one who married someone he's not allowed to marry, they cannot even receive deliveries. All right, let's see one by one. So uh, these they do not uh, they're not mentally competent and therefore uh, we do not give them this teru, the teruma in public although at home they can eat it uh, but it's not considered uh, honorable to dispense it to them uh, directly. Okay, I mean, Katan would have a problem that he can't really um, acquire something. Uh, he would need uh, the delivery person to give it to, uh, to deliver it to, in order for it to be acquired. So that just might be the, about the um, laws of acquisition. All right. Tumtum vadroginos name atzma ninhu. Uh, I think it says Atzma here as a Nekeva. Sometimes it refers to them in uh, Lashon Zachar. Uh, but anyway, the point is, this, uh, this applies m- mainly to the Androginos, who has two signs, and therefore we're not sure what uh, if it's a man or a woman. Uh, a woman, we mentioned, cannot receive, cannot, they eat Teruma. A woman, uh, Kohen, married to Kohen, Bat Kohen, can eat Teruma, uh, but cannot receive Teruma, so Androginos cannot receive Teruma. Tumtum, the problem is he is either, Tumtum is not a Bidya, uh, it's not its own uh, uh, gender, but rather is either male or female, it's just covered and we don't know which one, and it's possible that he is a man who has not received uh, circumcision, and so therefore it's a possible arel. So that would be the reason for tumtum, even though the Gemara says biriah um, uh, uh, regarding both of them. 
That's probably only the reason for androgynos. We, as the slave, cannot collect teruma, even if it's a slave who can eat teruma, uh, because he's owned by a kohen, and so he'd be saying, hey, I came to pick it up for my master. Uh, nevertheless, we're following here the biuda, whose opinion we saw on the previous staff, uh, that according to whom, uh, if someone is eligible, is on the list to uh, collect teruma, then based on that, we will also also uh, established their lineage. And so since an Eved does not have Kohen lineage, we do not allow them to receive the Tiruma at the granary, uh, lest someone, someone come to mistakenly think that they are a Kohen. The reason why an uncircumcised uh, man uh, and a Kohen who's Tameh cannot receive it is because it's considered repulsive. It's not respectful for the teruma to give it to uh, either of these two categories. The Kohen who married someone he's not supposed to be married to, that is a penalty. Uh, we're not going to give him the honor of receiving Tiruma when he should uh, leave his wife um, uh, who he's permitted to pro- prohibited to stay with. Okay, so all those we understand. But why not a woman? A woman who's um, who's eligible to eat Tiruma, why can't she all go and collect a, a portion of Tiruma? And the answer is two opinions. One says because she may get divorced. Let's say she's a Bat Yisrael, married to a Kohen. She's only able to eat Tiruma because of her because she's married. But if she should divorce and doesn't have uh, children with the Kohen, she goes back to her previous status. Now at the granary, they're not uh, keeping tabs and not up on all of the gossip in the town of who, uh, who got divorced and who separated. And so they'll see her even after she got divorced and continue to give her the Tiruma, even though she's not eligible for Tiruma anymore. So therefore we say, you know what, Gezera, let's not give the woman any woman at all because we, the granary, can't keep track of if they remain married or if they divorced. That's one opinion. The other opinion is, is because the granary sometimes is uh, out in the field. There aren't many people there. A woman's going to come to collect uh, from the to collect from there. The guy dispensing the granary and this woman coming will then be alone uh, together and violate the prohibition of yichud uh, of uh, of be- being secluded. To, together and so that that's why for a sense of modesty okay my benaihu what would be a practical uh, application where there will be a difference between these two opinions two applications if you have a granary that's close to town uh, and therefore they're hearing all the gossip and people that got divorced so they'll know we don't have to worry about the first uh, the, the first reason uh, but it, let's say it's one that's not very busy there are very few people there uh, you know it's a small town or small granary, and uh, so then it's more. It's, it is likely that there will be a problem of yichud. So then yichud would apply, and the first reason would not apply. Or the other way around, or maybe it's far away, and because it's far away, they don't hear about who got divorced. So there is a problem of the first mishum gerusha, um, but it's busy uh, there. So you, you never have to worry that the granary dispensary guy is going to be alone with the with the woman. 
All right, good. Now, back to that Baraita. Vechulan meshagarin lahen lebatehen chutz mitameh benose isha shenhenahogenet lo. Okay, so even though uh, the other eight people on the list uh, cannot collect, they can receive deliveries of terumah, um, except for the uh, someone who uh, someone who's tameh and someone who then married someone he's prohibited to, or kohen. Aval arel meshagarin le maitama. So that means that someone uncircumcised we can send it to him. Uh, what is the reason? Mishum de anis. Well, because it's beyond his control. We're talking about not someone who's uh, rebellious and against Judaism, and that's why he didn't get a circumcision. We're talking about someone who, for whom it's dangerous to get a circumcision. If he had two older brothers who received circumcision and died, then he cannot receive a circumcision if he has some disease. Um, so then it's beyond his control. So he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, still not. It's not uh, respectful to give it to him in public at the granary, but you could send it home with him. Uh, you could send it send it to his house, and that's not a problem. All right, now, Tameh Nameh Ha'anis, hold on. Uh, someone who's Tameh, how come the Tameh person you don't send a delivery to? Isn't that also beyond his control? Right? He became Tameh. Uh, who knows? Uh, whatever happened. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, he, he happened to uh, trip on a dead mouse or something. Um, so the answer is, hi, nafesh onse, bahai la nafesh onse. No, the, the one that is, um, uh, who's uncircumcised, that is a bigger uh, 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 a circumstance beyond his control. That's really beyond his control, life-threatening thing. I mean, there's really nothing you could do about it. Um, but the person who's tameh, you can be more careful and make sure, you know, double-check before you touch something, before you eat something before you walk somewhere to make sure there's no graves um, uh, uh, there and so there since um, it's uh, somewhat more in this control uh, therefore we do not send the the tiruma to atame even though we do send tiruma to uh, an arel all right tenora banan now is a related b'raita to the one we just saw that focuses on a slave or a woman. We do not give them a portion of tiruma at the granary. Um, and in a place where we do uh, uh, give them things, where we do distribute something, uh, right now we're assuming it's tomat tiruma, in which case it's, it's self-contradictory here. Um, so a place we do, we give to the woman first and uh, so that she can go home immediately and we let the eved wait. Now, my kamad, what is this talking about? First you said, we don't dispense. And then you said, if you do dispense, so then give one first. Hachi kamad is what it means to say, Okay, we do not dispense tiruma to evedim, uh, avadim and woman at all. Uh, but regarding maser ani, if a person is poor, then these things are distributed uh, from someone's home where the poor people would come and they would line up uh, to receive a portion of Maser Ani. These are things that women and slaves are permitted to go and receive. There's no problem with that. So therefore, in that place, there is a precedent. It's better to give the woman first and have the male slaves wait. My, or, or any men, right? Give the woman first, um, 
before giving to any any men, not only uh, uh, slaves or not. Uh, women first. Okay, uh, ladies first. Why? Because the meaning for women to have to wait uh, around in the company of men and uh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to mix and uh, we, for the sake of modesty, we will allow the women to go first so that they can go on their way and, um, and be back home and not have to wait together with the men. It's interesting because this was uh, given as a reason by uh, Rav Cook. Uh, uh, for when there was a discussion whether women are allowed to vote in the new state of Israel, or will they be allowed to vote in the new state of Israel? Uh, Rav Cook uh, gave one reason that it should not be allowed because they'll have to wait online to vote, and there's going to be men and women mixing in the voting places, and so that's not good. Rabbi Oziel said that's not a concern. Uh, women are allowed to vote. Uh, they um, they pay taxes, and so no taxation without representation. All right. Amar Rava, Meresha ki havu atu gavra veitetal dina kamae hava sharena tigera legavra beresha. Rava says, "Oh, thank you for teaching me this. You know, I, at first, whenever men or and women used to come to me for judgment, there would be a line. There would be a waiting." A waiting room, and so I would uh, take the cases of the men first. Why? Amina misvot. Men are obligated in misvot, and so now they're waiting around here. They're not doing misvot, so I would uh, hear the cases of the men first, so that they could go back to uh, studying Torah, doing whatever mitzvot they uh, need to do. Uh, pray. But now that I heard this law, I changed my policy. And now I hear the cases of the women first uh, because I don't want them to be waiting around in the waiting area uh, together with men and that will be um, not, uh, not appropriate for reasons of modesty. Uh, it's the meaning for the women to have to wait in front with, with the, together with the men. All right, very interesting. Now, uh, so now back to the Mishnah that, that was talking about the uh, a boy, uh, the two boys, one a Kohen and one an Eved. And now if they, when they grow up, it says they, if, if they, uh, free each other. Uh, so we don't know. One owns the other, right? Assuming that they grow up and the, the father uh, died. So then the son who's a Kohen inherits the estate, including inherits the boy who was a slave, now a man. Uh, so we don't know which one. One of them owns the other. And so they each uh, give a, an emancipation document to the other. So now they're both free. And then that lists the consequences in that case. So we ask about this. The Mishnah seems to indicate that it says if they free each other. Uh, so it means if they want to, then they do. And if let's say they don't want to, if they don't both agree, um, then they don't have to. Wait a second. We saw that while one of them is a slave, they cannot marry anyone. Because the one that's a Kohen cannot marry a Pasul, and the one that is a slave can only marry another slave or someone Pasul, <coughs> cannot marry a full Jew. So there is no overlap between who they could marry. And so now you have these two people, two men, who have have no possibility of marrying anyone. And that's not good. We don't want to leave a state like that. Um, so the says, you're right. You know what? You should read the Mishnah 
as saying that actually the Betin forces them to uh, give a freedom document to each other so that they have the ability to fulfill Pidu and go <coughs> and marry. Um, uh, marry properly. All right, the last statement, the last line of the Mishnah was a, a general summary statement that they have the stringencies of being both a Kohen and a Yisrael after they're freed. So, what does that summary statement apply to? Um, and you could say it's just giving a, uh, a, a summary of all the things that are came before, but who needs the summary if it's not including something new? applies to a mincha offering. Here's the quick summary of mincha offerings. If a Yisrael brings a mincha offering, then the Kohen will take a kemitzah, right, a handful, and that is burnt on the Mizbeach, and the rest of it the Kohen can take and eat. If a Kohen brings a Mincha offering, it's entirely sacrificed without Kemitzah. And so now we have this person who we're not sure, is he a Kohen or a Yisrael? Well, what are you going to, we're not sure, so how are we going to treat the Mincha? And the answer is, it's a Nikmes, we do Kemitzah because this person might be Yisrael. And it's not eaten because it might be a, that of a Kohen. So what are we going to do with the, with the rest of it? I mean, you'll take the Kemitzah, you'll burn that, that's fine. But haketzad, hakometz kareb be'atzmo, v'ashiraim karevin be'atzman. So here's what you do. You take the, you separate the kometz and burn it. And then the leftovers, you also burn on the Mizbeach separately. And so uh, that way the Kohen is not eating it, but it is being, it is being burned. So it'll fulfill either way. But we, now we say, hold on, that does not work. Uh, we have a general rule that anything that is partly burned on the Mizbeach, and part of it has to be burned, then the rest of it, the leftovers, cannot be burnt on, on it. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, excluding the part that is, need not be burnt, then cannot be burned. So you can't just be machmir and say, all right, the kimitzah will burn, and the leftovers will burn just in case. Um, if it is if he's a Kohen, then that's fine. But if he's, 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 he's Israel and it's not supposed to be burnt, then you cannot put it on the Mizbeach as an offering. So this is not actually a good solution. So we have a solution. No, we put it on the Mizbeach as firewood. Right, that's okay. And we can make a condition. If he's a Kohen, then we're burning it as a sacrifice. If he's a Yisrael, we're burning it just as firewood. Uh, so that doesn't violate the prohibition. And this would follow the opinion of Rabbi Elazar who permits this loophole. This is the same context as the previous pasuk here. That's talking about seod v'chol devash. You're not allowed any time during the year to have leaven or honey burnt as a sacrifice on the mizbeach uh, for different reasons. Okay, but um, it could be, um, Rambam would say it's idolatry. Uh, it could be in general that uh, this represents uh, hodiness, seod. Uh, devash is a, is, is a starter that helps um, something leaven. So this is, uh, you know, Pesach is this one example of a korban that cannot have chametz with it in the house, um, but it actually, this law applies all year round regarding korbanot on the Mizbeach. Okay, for whatever reason, you cannot have se'od 
and Devash, you cannot uh, burn them on the Mizbeach as a sacrifice. Um, but here it says, Lo yalu You're only prohibited to burn them as a sacrifice. If you want to burn it as fuel, then you can put it on the Mizbeach. And therefore, as long as you have in mind that uh, on condition, this will be for fuel, you could take that extra leftover mincha and burn it on the Mizbeach. Okay, good. So we have an answer. But Hanicha Rabbi Elazad, the answer only works for Rabbi Elazad, who permits using it for fuel. El Rabbanan, Rabbanan disagree. And they say, no, you can't have it on the Mizbeach at all. So then what are you going to say? David like Rabbi Elazad, but Rabbi Shimon, did Tanya Rabbi Elazad, Rabbi Shimon, we follow Rabbi Elazad, Shimon, it's different Rabbi Elazad. This is the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who says, he says regarding a different type of mincha offering, a mincha of an olevi the type of chatat that if you're poor, you could just bring uh, a, a flower, a flower as a, as the offering. And in that case, uh, you take the kometz and that is put separately, and the leftovers you do not put burn it on mizbeach, but rather you put them on the pile of ashes that was on top of the mizbeach, but not on the fire that's on the mizbeach. Um, so we could do that, and that's a way that uh, we can um, dispense of it appropriately according to whether he's a Kohen or not. We do the same thing as there. And even in that Braita, where that's, it is a minority opinion, uh, so the rabbis say, no, you cannot do that. Uh, the rabbis only say you cannot do that regarding this this uh, hatat of kohanim, this olevi uh, yored of kohanim. There, they say, no, it's not enough to put it on, on the pile of ashes. Because it has to be burnt. But regarding here, uh, regular mincha offering, even the rabbis would agree that it's sufficient to put it on the pile of ashes. And so there you go. We have an answer according to everyone. The next Mishnah includes some fascinating cases. Uh, we know the law that if a woman is divorced uh, or her husband dies, she must wait three months before getting remarried because she may be pregnant. And so after by 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 time three months comes, then she'll be showing and we'll know that she was in fact pregnant with the first uh, from the from the first husband. And so uh, in order to establish proper paternity. Uh, she has to wait, and uh, if she is not pregnant, and then uh, then she can get married, and no, then we know the next uh, child she has is from the second husband. That's good. But what if she doesn't? Uh, she does not wait three months. Vini said Vialdan. She does get married to a second man, and she has a child. We don't know if this is a full term pregnancy and the first husband is the father, or it's a seven-month pregnancy, and the second uh, husband is, in fact, the father. So what do we do? So, uh, in this first scenario, uh, let's say that she also had a child with the first husband, who we know for sure that's the second, uh, that's her husband, and she also, after this, has a for sure a definite child with the second husband. And and then this guy, the one in the middle, who we're not sure who his father is, uh, dies without children. Every both of the uh, both of his half brothers have to do chalitza. Um, both of the men, one of them is his half brother. One of them, he's actually not related to. Oh, he's it's half brother from his mother. Both um, both of them are half brothers from his mother. 
Uh, one of them is his full half brother. So they both have to do chalitza, not uh, yibum. And similarly, if either of those two men die without children, the middle guy has to do chalitza and yibum. Uh, with both, uh, not Yibum, with both of them. Here's a diagram to help explain this. You have Yitzchak and said, I have a definite child whose name is Shimon. And then Yitzchak um, uh, dies or divorces. And now, in the meantime, Sarah has a, uh, marries Yaakov. Um, before three months, she has a child, Uven. We don't know who the father is. Is it the father, the first husband, Yitzchak, or the second husband, Yaakov? After that, she has a definite child with Yaakov, whose name is Levi. That's all fine. Now, Reuven marries Dina, and he dies without kids. So here's the problem. It could be that Reuven and Shimon are full brothers, both mother, same mother and same father. If they have the same father, then Shimon could do Yibum. So it is necessary for Dina to get something in order before she marries out. But it's also possible that this is not, they are not, they don't have the same father. If they're not paternal brothers and only maternal brothers, then there is no Yibum. And so he is pro prohibited to her. In that case, he would not have to do Yibum or Chalitza. But the point is, he cannot do Yibum because in case they are only maternal brothers. The same thing the, with Levi, and therefore uh, both of them have to give Chalitza. Uh, she needs Chalitza because one of them is related, but we don't know which one, and none of them can do Yibum. And the same thing would be if Shimon got married and uh, died without children, Reuven would have to give her uh, do chalitza with her uh, just in case. All right, that's case number one. Uh, case number two. Similar to the first case, except that those two uh, other people are not related to the middle guy uh, because uh, the men had those had children with yet other women. I'll show you a diagram. In this case, if one of those other brothers dies without children, then the middle one can do either chalitza or yibum. And if that middle one, whose un, whose paternity is uncertain, um, that dies without children, then the other two men, one of them does chalitza, and the other can do yibum. Uh, here's the diagram for this. Um, you have Yitzchak and some other woman had a child, Shimon. Yaakov also and some other woman had a child, Levi. Uh, so they are not related at all. Now, um, Yitzhak uh, married Sarah, divorced, and then Sarah married Yaakov before three months. She remarried before three months, and turns out she was pregnant, or she is pregnant and has a child. We don't know if Yitzhak is the father or Yaakov is the father. So in this case, Reuven is not related to Shimon and Levi by his mother. The mother is only the mother of Reuven. This is definitely not the mother of Shimon and Levi. So there are no maternal siblings here. Uh, however, he is a paternal sibling to only one, only Shimon or Levi. And so therefore, if Shimon dies without children, let's say he married someone uh, not pictured here and he dies without children. So uh, if Reuven, if they are half uh, paternal brothers, well then that's fine. That's a case of Yibum. And if they are not, brothers, then they're not related. Uh, it happened to be that his, fa his father was married to the same woman that is this Reuven's mother, but that's not a relationship. And so therefore, he's allowed to marry her as a, a foreign, uh, not unrelated woman. Uh, so that's why he can do Chalitza 
or Yibum, he does have to do something, because just in case they are brothers, she can't get married to anyone else before he does Chalitza. Now, if the middle one, the Duven, uh, marries Dina and dies with, and dies without children, then this Yevama, uh, well, he she is related to one of them, so she can't just go free and marry anybody else. Uh, one of them is her brother-in-law from her father's paternal brother. So therefore, one of them needs to do Chalitza because we don't know. You can't one just can't do Yibum because could be the wrong one. Uh, so one of them will do Chalitza, and then the uh, uh, if this one does chalitza, for example, then this one can do yibum because that way either it says uh, either it's the uh, this is his brother-in-law. Uh, uh, this he's the brother-in-law. He is the abam. In which case he's doing yibum, or he's not related. And it was this guy who was related, but he already did chalitza, so now she's free to marry someone else. So the second one can do yibum. It doesn't matter which one does it, as long as the chalitza is first, as the gemara will say. Okay, now. Uh, to make it a little bit more complicated, uh, what if uh, one of, let's say, Yitzhak is a Kohen and Yaakov is Israel? And so now we have a further uh, doubt. This uh, middle guy, is he a Kohen, if his father is a Kohen, or is Israel if his father was a Israel? Um, uh, okay, so in that case, we're going to have the same consequences as we did on the previous stuff. He can only marry someone who a Kohen can, can marry, in case he's a Kohen, so he can't marry a divorcee. He cannot become Tamelamet because... He may be a Kohen. If he does become, uh, go ahead and go in a cemetery and become Tameh, he doesn't get the normal punishment of 40 lashes because maybe he's Israel and he doesn't deserve it. He cannot eat Tremah because maybe he's a Kohen. If he did eat it, he doesn't get a penalty because uh, he cannot eat it because maybe he's Israel. If he does eat it, he doesn't get a penalty because uh, maybe he is a Kohen. He cannot get a portion of Tirumah from the Goren because he may be a Yisrael. But he can, a Tirumah that he has, he can sell and keep the money because maybe he's a Kohen. So let them go, let someone come and prove that he's not a Kohen and uh, take it um, and take it. So otherwise, the monetary value of the Tirumah he's allowed to keep, he just can't eat the Tirumah. He does not get a portion in uh, sacrificial meat or sacrifices uh, that are divided up in uh, in the Beta Mikdash, also not the hides of the of uh, such animals uh, that normally a Kohen can take home. And people uh, cannot give, let's say, their Bechor to a, this person because he maybe he's not a Kohen. But if he does somehow get his hands on a hide or uh, has a bechor animal, then we don't have to take it from him, the monetary value of it, because um, if he sacrifices an animal, regular animal, not a not just a, 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 to eat a cholin meal, he does not have to give the normal presence to the kohen of these three sections of the of the animal, because maybe he himself is a kohen. So this is just a monetary value there, not uh, holy. So he can keep anything that's monetary value. If he has his own animal that's a bechor, uh, he need not give it to a kohen 
because maybe he himself is a Kohen. On the other hand, he cannot sacrifice it as a Kohen because maybe he's, he's Israel. So what do you do? You let it pasture until it gets a blemish, um, and then once it's blemished, uh, he is allowed to partake of it because then it's just a monetary value, and since maybe he's a Kohen, he can keep the monetary value um, and uh, know what someone would have to prove in order prove he's not a Kohen in order to take it from him. And uh, we give him all the stringencies of both being a Kohen and a Yisrael. All right, now uh, further. Let's say the first father and the second father, the first husband and the second husband were both Kohanim. So in this case, we know for sure that this child is a Kohen. Nevertheless, there are still st- still some stringencies that would apply. Um, uh, not all the stringencies, like he would be able to eat Terumah, because he's for sure Kohen either way. But other stringencies, who onen alehem vehem onenim alav. If uh, either of those husbands die, he has his an onen. That's the state before burial where he cannot eat meat or drink wine. Uh, so even though since he's a for sure Kohen, he can have he can have sacrificial meat. But when either husband dies, since either one may be his father, he is in onen status. And if he dies, if this uh, child dies, then both husbands have to act as an onen, uh, because either one may be the father, and a father also has to uh, mourn over the child. Um, and according to this, uh, you see that it is possible for the first husband to still be alive, uh, which is uh, strange because this woman remarried a Kohen. And how is that possible? If the first husband is alive, that means he had to divorce her. And if that is, oh, then she's a divorcee, she could not marry, she cannot marry a second Kohen. All right, the Gemara will discuss this problem. Okay, who uh, They cannot become tamed to each other because it is true. Maybe they are father and son, in which case a coin is allowed to be tamed, but maybe they are not related. And so none, none of them can become tamed lamet for each other. Uh, the Kohen does not inherit them uh, because each one can say, oh, he's not my son, right? Let him prove before he takes my my property. So they don't have to give it to him. However, um, if the son dies first, then then there's no and there's no one uh, else to inherit because he himself has no no sons. Then those two husbands uh, will split it equally um, uh, like you would um, any uh, money that's held in doubt and 50% chance it's this person's or that person's, they would split it. This child who um, uh, is, uh, uh, now it doesn't matter if he's a Kohen or whatever he is, we don't know who his father is. So if he hits one of them, normally a son who hits his father uh, gets capital punishment. Uh, if this uh, child hits either one of the husbands, does not get capital punishment because maybe it's his father, maybe it's not his father, and you don't punish someone for a doubtful uh, crime. If he is a, a Kohen, if both of his, uh, both husbands are Kohanim, then the son is a Kohen, and he is obligated to go to the Bet HaMikdash and serve uh, during the week um, uh, of the Mishmad of this husband and of that husband, because uh, there's an obligation for all of that clan, all of that family to go. He doesn't know which one it is, so he has to go both times. He has to serve double duty. Um, uh, while he's there, however, he cannot get any portions, so he gets all the responsibilities, but none of the benefits of the free food 
that the Kohanim would get when they are serving during that week. However, if it happens to be that both husbands are part of the same clan and serve on the same week, then he, this uh, child for sure is one of their kids, and so the child can serve and can receive only one share. He can't take two shares because only one of these guys is his father, so he only belongs there for one reason. Um, and so he can take one portion. Good. The Gemara says, as it did before, and that the second case when uh, he is a paternal uh, brother of uh, one of them, but not a maternal brother to any of them, he can do chalitza and then uh, do yibum. Uh, the, so the, the two other guys, uh, one of them is his brother, one does chalitza to the Yavama, and one does yibum, and it has to be in that order. But if one of those um, uh, uh, potential brothers does yibum first, then that is not good, because could be that he is not actually the brother, and uh, this person is still a yevama who has a zika to the other guy, to to the other guy who was actually his brother-in-law, her brother-in-law, and then the one who is not the brother-in-law is going to take her and before while she still has a zika. So one has to do chalitza first, and then um, and then the other can do yibum second. We're now going to quote a statement by Shemuel uh, that's related because we are going to challenge him from the from our Mishnah. So Amashimuel, Asadakuanim Omdim. Uh, if you have a case of ten ten Kohanim are standing around, Upilesh Echadmehen Ubaal Habalad Shituki, and one of them goes ahead and has relations with a woman and has a child. Uh, but we don't know which of the men uh, did this. So that child is called a Shituki, a silenced one. My Shituki. Ilemam Shemeshatikin Otom Nikse Aviv. Now, why is a child called a shituki? Uh, is it because we silence him from inheriting uh, the uh, the property of his father, and we say it's like you, it's like you don't exist, you don't, you can't inherit? Well, of course, I mean that's obvious because we don't even know who his father is, and therefore, who would be which which man would he inherit? So that's there's no there's no chidush uh, there. Rather, Shemuel's interpretation is that we quiet him, meaning we exclude him from the laws of Kehuna. Now, it's true. They're all ten men were Kohanim. So, for sure, this guy's father, this kid's father, is a Kohen. Nevertheless, there's some problem with him uh, that uh, removes him from the benefits and obligations of being a Kohen. So, we ask, what is Shemuel's reason? Uh, regarding Pinchas, it says the blessing of the Kohen, being a Kohen, will be to him and to his lineage after him. It has to be a definite lineage. We have to know who is the father. And so if you don't know who the father is, even if they're all, all the possibilities are Kohanim, that's still not, that's an indefinite lineage. And therefore, uh, this kid is out. That's why it's called Shituki. He is silenced, he is excluded from the uh, benefits of being a Kohen. All right, that's Shemuel's opinion, and now we're going to challenge it. Regarding Abraham, Hashem said, this is going to be a berit between you and me and your 
uh, lineage after you. So this is the same language it says regarding Kohanim, but this here it applies to all of Israel. Over there you can't say the same thing, that this kid would be uh, excluded uh, excluded from being a Kohen if they are not of definite lineage, because this is referring to all of Israel. So what are you going to say? You're going to exclude the, someone from being Jewish? If you don't know for sure who their father is, uh, if you know the mother's Jewish, um, so that doesn't make sense either. Rather, in this case, we do, we can explain it. It's referring to a prohibition, do not marry a non-Jew or a shivcha, because your lineage, the lineage of that offspring will file the woman's status, matrilineal descent, in terms of identity for being a Jew and being free. And so that's why it says, you and your a lineage after you. So yes, being Jewish refers to uh, this the the male lineage. Although uh, it doesn't matter if uh, if um, as long as the mother is Jewish and free, the child will be Jewish and free. Even if even though in that case we don't know who the father is. Okay, so we can explain that pasuk and as appropriate to his context. So Shemuel's okay still. Metibe. Um, and so now another challenge to Shemuel. Rishon ra'oi liyot kohen gadol. This case was we saw back a Braita on 37a where uh, generally if you have a yevama, her husband died without children, the yavam must wait three months before performing ribum, because just in case she's pregnant from the deceased husband. Uh, and what if he doesn't? What if the, the Yavam does not wait and she has a child and we don't know, is this the son of the deceased husband or is it the son of the Yavam? Oh, well, even though you don't know, doesn't matter. That child that's born can be the Kohen Gadol uh, because uh, either way, the father is for sure a Kohen. So this is a question, a challenge to Shemuel. Hey, Shemuel, you said that if you don't know who the father is, even if you know it's a Kohen, they, they loses the, the rights to be a Kohen. But here, we don't know who the father is, and yet, the Baraita says it can be a Kohen Gadol. Don't you need require a certain lineage? And here you don't have it, Shemuel. And the answer is, The truth is, this law prohibiting that Shemuel said is only Midrabanan. And that Pasuk that he says, was only a hook. Uh, to bring a mnemonic, to bring extra authority to the, the Rabbanan law. Um, when the rabbis made a gezerah, they only made a gezerah if the child is born outside of marriage with a, in a promiscuous relationship. And that's what the case was above with 10 Kohanim, and one of them goes not marrying her, just has a child with her. There we impose uh, this penalty. Um, and uh, the child cannot serve as a Kohen. But if they are properly married, then that's fine. And that's the case of this Baraita here, where you have a Yavam, she was properly uh, 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 deceased, she was properly married to the deceased husband before he died, and the Yavam, who also, they do proper Yibum. I mean, it's a little bit improper because he waited, uh, he didn't wait the three months, but when, whatever he does, it, they are fully married. So it's not Zenut, and that explains Shalom, uh, Shemuel. So it's limiting Shemuel. Shemuel only prohibits a Kohen whose paternity is uncertain, 
if he was born um, from uh, from um, from a relationship that was not uh, married out of wedlock. Okay, hold on, even regarding Zenut, uh, the promiscuous relationship, did the rabbis really always make a Gezerah in such a case? And this is where we bring in our Mishnah. Uh, we talked about a case where a woman uh, did not wait, uh, she was with one man, and she did not wait three months uh, before marrying the second, and she gave birth. Now, what do you mean after the first husband? What happened to the first husband? So maybe the first husband died. So then, right uh, now we're going to go to the case where the first and second husbands are both Kohanim. And uh, here we saw that the child is, in fact, allowed to serve and receive itiruma and Kodashim if both uh, fathers are Kohanim. So in that case, if it's achar ba'ala after means after he died, well then that's all okay, right? There's no question uh, in that case because uh, she was married to one man, he died, so she's a widow. She's permitted to marry a second kohen. Um, so that's fine, but it doesn't fit with some of the languages coming up. It says that if he dies or if either of the potential fathers die, they all have to uh, be onenim. Uh, before the burial, they have to mourn because, in case they are father and son. Now, Bishlemahu onen alehem, Mashkachada binisuin de sheni, Velikut asamot de kama. Now, regarding the son being onen for one of the potential fathers, that is easy to come up with a case. So, regarding the marriage to the second man, that second man dies, so this may be the child of the second husband, so maybe his father. Uh, so that's easy. And how about the first? Well, if the first one, um, if the first one was uh, uh, died before he was born, then he's not going to be an onen. Uh, so, but that still could be an onen uh, when he's gathering the bones. In the olden days, they would uh, not bury someone in the ground and leave them there, but rather they would put the body in a cave. This is also a form of burial. Close up the cave on a shelf, and then after all uh, uh, the uh, the flesh decayed, they would come back, say a year later, gather the bones and put them into a jar. So that day of gathering the bones, one uh, the relatives also observe Aninut for that day. So this could be um, at some time later that child will will um, be an Onen for the father who had deceased already. So that that we understand how the child can be an Onen for either either potential father. But how could you have a case where these two husbands would have to observe uh, Aninut for if the son died, Kama Hamitle, the first husband already died. If he died, then that's not, there's no more Aninut for him. So it can't be that the first husband died. Eh, la bigerusha must be that she divorced the first husband. Um, now, if she divorced the first husband, then how could she remarry the second? Must be the first gave a get, and then she married the second. Wait, so that's the case. Now, they cannot become tamer to each other. They cannot become tamer to him because either one may not be the father and they're Kohanim. And so if they're Kohen and not related, they cannot 
cannot become Tamela Met. The Cholchad Vechad Dilmala Berehu, either one, each one, maybe it's not his son. Elahu and Mit Tamelahem Amai, but regarding the son, cannot become Tamer to either for either husband. Why? Bishlamalashani Lolit Tamele. We understand if the when if the uh, second one, second husband dies, he cannot become Tamer to him because maybe he is the child of the first and he's not related to the second husband. But when the first, if the first one dies, again, right, this is after they divorced, assuming that the first, first husband divorced, uh, and then he dies. Uh, so if he is the son of the first husband, so he's permitted to become Tameh because they're related. And if he's the son of the second husband, he also can become Tameh because in that case the child is a halal. Because she got divorced from the first husband and now the second husband married a divorcee. And the child, the result of that, is a halal. And a halal is a um, is, uh, is disqualified from the laws of being a Kohen and therefore is allowed to become Tameh for, uh, um, uh, if, even for someone to whom he is not related. And therefore, this, um, this halakha would not make sense. Um, if it was in fact, uh, if, there, if, the, if she was d- divorced from the first husband. So rather, it must be a case of promiscuous relations. Let's say this woman um, had relations outside of marriage with, hus- with man number one, had a child, and then had uh, um, zinut relations with a second man and had... Uh, uh, um, and had a child in between. She had relations with one man and then did not wait three months and then had relations with the second man and she gave birth and we don't know who is the proper uh, parent. Who is the father? And in that case, so so when it says after the husband, it doesn't mean husband, but it rather means the one who um, who had bia with her. Okay, so it must be that's the case. Now, what's the verdict in the Mishnah? That this child must go and serve as a Kohen uh, when the time comes time for the clan of the first man or the second man, the son has to go and serve both of them. What do you see here? That the son, that's a result of promiscuous relations, does serve as a Kohen and is not considered a uh, not considered a disqualified Kohen. And this uh, is uh, um, this goes against Shemuel, who said that the, the rabbis made an Isur Medrabanan when you don't have definite lineage. Here you have a kid who doesn't have definite lineage and yet he's allowed to serve. So this is a challenge to Shemuel. All right, um, uh, we came a long way, but it was worth it because this is a good question. Rav says, oh, Shemuel uh, can have a case where this would be true. If she was a minor and uh, at the time of the first husband and her uh, orphan minor and her mother or older brother married her off while she was under 12. Um, and uh, she decided uh, she doesn't like this guy and she objects. In that case, she's not a divorcee or a widow, but rather the marriage is annulled. It's as if she was never married. Still not considered zenut uh, because she was married when she was with that ma- man. Um, uh, so she, uh, 
she's not divorced, but she's not a zona. And then, she, and then, uh, and then uh, uh, within three months, she um, uh, was uh, married a second man, and she gave birth in the meantime. Uh, so here you have a case. Uh, that's what the Mishnah is talking about. That's why it's not the child is not a result of promiscuous relation relations. She was actually legally married at the time to each of the husbands. All right, so you have a fantastic case where you could have such a thing. Now, the problem is, hold on, to be, um, to be, uh, to be someone who's uh, young enough to object means she has to be a minor, but a minor cannot give birth biologically. Right, we have a halacha that three women um, uh, must use uh, a contraceptive cloth. Kitana, milberet umenika, a minor child or a pregnant woman or a woman who is nursing. Kitana ma shematit aber vetamut. The reason is a minor because if she gets pregnant, she cannot bear the pregnancy and she may die from it. So this is a life in danger. Therefore, she has to use contraception. Someone who's pregnant seems to follow the uh, a belief that a pregnant woman can conceive again. And if she does, then that second uh, fetus will uh, put pressure on the first and not in the room, and it will, uh, she will miscarry a misformed uh, uh, fetus that looks like a sandal. Or if she's nursing, then she may become pregnant. And if she does, then her milk will dry up and, and the baby will not have sustenance and will die. So these are all uh, important uh, reasons why she has to prevent the pregnancy. Now, what does it mean, ketana? What's the definition of that? It means from 11 years, 11 years and one day uh, to 12 years old and one day. That's the time period when she would need to uh, use this contraceptive cloth. Um, if it's younger than that or older than that, then there's not a problem. Because if she's younger than that, she cannot get pregnant at all. She's older than that, then she can bear a pregnancy. It's only in that one year between where she can, can get pregnant, but it would be dangerous for her to carry it through. She will die. Say, no, either way, she can, uh, she need not use a contraceptive cloth because uh, it's a very rare that we would have such a problem and Hashem will take care of the, 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 the poor uh, people uh, who may be in trouble. In other words, it's uh, likely that she cannot become pregnant and if she does, uh, she won't be dangerous. Uh, so that's Chachamim. Okay, now the point of all this, bringing all this, is that is to prove that a minor girl cannot become pregnant. Um, uh, that's uh, that, that's evident either way. Either she it cannot become pregnant, or if she does become pregnant, she cannot give birth because she'll die. Uh, so either way, she's not going to have a healthy child. Uh, so then, therefore, if it is a case of Emma in it, then there cannot possibly result in a child being born.
So instead we say, You can have a case where the adult woman was married, uh, did Kiddushin with a man, um, but there was something wrong with the Kiddushin. There was a uh, condition that was not fulfilled or something else wrong. And so she was um, legal. She thought at least she was legally married. It was not zinut. It was not promiscuous. Um, uh, and, uh, and this would follow the opinion of Rabbi Ishmael who says that if, uh, if uh, a, a woman is not coerced, this is regarding sota, uh, then, uh, then she is prohibited to her husband because that means uh, she um, was willing. Uh, but, but if she was coerced, then she is permitted. Uh, it was against her will, this adulterer uh, forced her, and so she can go back to her husband. Now, um, from the extra word, we learn that besides the person who is, who is uh, forced, the woman who is raped, also there is another case that even though she is not uh, raped, she's not forced, she is still allowed to go back to her husband. Uh, someone who did Kiddushin, but there was something wrong with the Kiddushin, uh, like a condition that was not fulfilled. Uh, that person is permitted. Even if she has a child riding on her shoulders. Uh, so she, it's very clear that uh, she um, she had a child from the second uh, husband. Uh, nevertheless, she can uh, go ahead and uh, um, uh, refuse the original husband uh, by saying that the Kiddushin was not good, and proving that it was not good, and she can go on her way. So here, Shemuel can construct a case where a woman uh, was legally married to the first guy, uh, at the time, it was permitted, but it turned out that the Kiddushin was uh, ta'ut, so we don't call that uh, promiscuous, a zinut. Uh, so therefore, she is allowed to marry a Kohen after that. It's not a, she was not divorced, and so she can, and therefore, that child uh, that results from it will be a kosher Kohen, uh, and uh, therefore can serve. Uh, so no matter what, uh, the, either father is a Kohen, and she's not a Zona, and that could be a case that could reconcile Shemuel. All right, very good. We may as well just finish the Pedic. Hayu Shenehem Kohanim. We mentioned the, the case, if they're both Kohanim, and within that we talked about Tenur Banan, We talked about um, a case where a child uh, where we're not sure, is it the first, is her first husband the father or the second husband? So if he hits one, only one of them, so then he's exempt from capital punishment because maybe his, this, that one is, was not his father. But this Baraita is a more complicated case. What if he hits both the, uh, the husband A and husband B? So he definitely hit one of his, one of them that he hit was definitely his father. Or he cursed both, hus both uh, husbands. One of them is for sure his father. Or or uh, the the first two cases were with two acts. He did one and then he did the other. But here, in one in one statement, he cursed he cursed both of you. Uh, so for sure, in that one statement, he uh, he violated uh, cursing his father. Or he hit both of them at once with one blow. So in that case, since for sure, 
one of them was his father, um, he would be uh, liable to capital punishment. makes a distinction between these cases and says if he did it in one shot, one statement or one blow, then he'd be liable. But if it was one after the other, then he would not be liable because then he, we would judge each act that he did separately. This one is maybe his father, maybe not, so exempt. And the other one, same thing. Good. And now we have a challenge. Did Abiyuda really say that? The second Baraita, he is more lenient. He says, even if he acted at once, uh, he is not liable. And the answer is, There must be two traditions of the memorizers in the name of Abiyuda. Why would you say patur? This is beracha here. It means actually cursing. It's using a euphemism. And in that, in the, uh, uh, within the Torah, it talks about two cases of cursing. Uh, one referring to beracha of Hashem, and uh, and uh, later on it talks about uh, the cursing of a parent. So malim alash and bashutafut regarding Hashem, uh, there's no possibility of partnership. God is only one, and so that statement what that he says would have to regard be uh, um, uh, be uh, towards just one being, God. Aflamatash and bashutafut. So too, the one later on regarding uh, a parent. Uh, has to be a statement that does not involve any partnership. So if he curses two people, one is parent, one is not, then that does not a definition uh, of the of the prohibition that would be liable. And so therefore, in this case, since he is cursing both uh, to both husbands, one is father, one not, no, that is partnership. So it's okay. It's not okay, but it's not liable. Uh, and then, uh, since that's true regarding cursing, we uh, compare it to hitting, and so therefore that would be the same, and there, that's why uh, the Biuda would say patur, because uh, there also, only if he curses or hits only his father, and not if he joins other people within, because that would be partnership. All right. And lastly, the, uh, the Kohen, who was not sure who his father is, but both fathers are Kohanim. So in that case, he can go to the Bet HaMikdash, and he would go to the Bet HaMikdash both for the Mishmad of husband A and for the Mishmad of husband B. He just he can't eat anything when he gets there. Here's the question. Since he's not going to receive a share in any of the sacrificial meat or other things that they divide, why would he bother going? So we say, what? Why should he go? Why should he not go? He says, I wanted to go do a mitzvah, right? Going and being in the Bet HaMikdash and helping out in whatever way he can is a mitzvah. So, no, what we mean to ask is, It doesn't say if he wants to, he can. It says we make him go. And so what is his obligation? Uh, why does he have to go? Since anyway, he's not going to be able to partake. Uh, in anything and uh, not be an essential part of the service. And their answer is because of the family flaw. If he doesn't go, people will say, oh, look, isn't he part of that family? Isn't that his father? Look, he's not going. I guess there's something wrong with the whole family, uh, with that whole uh, uh, tribe that he knows about and so that will bring people to be suspect so therefore he has to go with both watches 
and uh, to the extent that he can help, that's a mitzvah also, even though he cannot eat uh, of anything that has only that belongs to that mishmar only. Okay, the Mishnah said if both of the husbands happen to belong to the same priestly watch, then he can go and partake and take a portion. Um, uh, he's allowed to eat, you know, he's in general, he's allowed to eat turumah and things that are Kodesh because he is for sure a Kohen. It's just that uh, the, the people in a certain watch will not let him if he cannot prove that he's in that watch. Uh, but if both of his fathers, both of his potential fathers are in the, the same watch, then for sure he is part of it and can partake. Now, now if his parents were, if his two potential fathers are in different watches, what's the reason why he cannot partake? Well, it's because this family will push him out and say, hey, you're not part of our family. And the other one will also push him out and say, hey, prove that you're part of our family. And so therefore he cannot partake. But by that same reasoning, uh, we should not let him partake in any single day within the Mishmad. Each Mishmad had split up into a Bet Av. And so each Bet Av would serve on different days of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, so uh, so now he doesn't know what Bet Av he is. And therefore, if he goes on Sunday, the other Bet Av will say, oh, that's you, that's you, you know, your father is on Monday. And the one on Monday will say, your father is the one on Sunday. And so they will still uh, reject him and he won't be able to participate. So the answer to that is, If he, uh, both of the husbands, of his mother were but uh, were from not only the same Ishmael but even the same Bet Av, even the same patrilineal clan. Uh, then he knows that either way he can uh, partake of the clan that serves on that particular day of the week, and that's what the Mishmar was talking about. Hazran Alach Nosin Al Ha'anusa.